You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, Gina. Not sure how the men get in on that meal in October, but I'm going to be working on it, and I'll let you know, guys. That sounds like a wonderful restart to women's ministry. I say we restart just because we've been, so many things have been sort of off to the side. But that, it's going to be a good time this year. And I surely want to encourage everyone who is not a part to be a part uh, this, this year. Well, don't you just love it when a plan comes together? I mean, something that you've been hoping would happen, maybe you've been working toward it or you've just been observing from a distance, but a plan comes together. And when that happens, usually a desired purpose has been stated, achieved. It required planning, execution, addressing contingencies, and experiencing a little good fortune along the way. When you see God's plan come together, when you see God's plan accomplished, it differs on multiple fronts, multiple levels. First, God's motives are always pure. His motives, he's never hoping something to his advantage beyond the fact that he gets glory that he deserves and that we are blessed to give to him. His motives are always pure. Every possible factor has been considered. Indeed, every factor is known before the plan is initiated. That is not the case with us. Oftentimes we say, well, I think this, this, and this will happen. But occasionally it doesn't go as planned. The outcome is assured and everyone plays the exact role that God intended for him or her to play. Even though we trust that God's ways are perfect, his ways are often not discerned until we look back in retrospect and are left in awe at his design. Today, we're going to see how God's plan for Jesus as high priest came together in a manner that will leave us without anything to say beyond praise the Lord. Well, there there is more to say, but we must begin with praise the Lord. There's going to be a lot of scripture in today's message, just like the last two weeks where we go from Old Testament, really Old Testament, to mid-Old Testament, to New Testament, to see how God's design and plan are accomplished. And the reason we're reading a lot of scripture today, this is God's plan, not mine. Our text today is Psalm 110, verses 4 to 7, though officially it's Psalm 110, part 2. I mentioned two weeks ago when we covered the first three verses of Psalm 110 that I do not think the Bible works without verse 4. It's because of verse 4 that we can see the very hinge on which God's plan turns. So 
I will explain after the reading of the text. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word, Psalm 110? And even though we'll only be looking at the last four verses, and primarily verse four, uh, we're going to read the entire psalm, which is, you recall, is very important to note that it is a psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand, Until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments. From the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be years. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest Forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. So who is Melchizedek and what is the big deal? He only appears three times in the Bible, although his name is given several times in Hebrews, the third and final uh, appearance. Uh, Even though we hear so little about him, it is impossible to overstate his importance. The first mention of Melchizedek is found in Genesis 14 where Abraham had fought to rescue his nephew Lot, who had been taken captive uh, along with the king of Sodom. Lot was living in Sodom, and some kings came to uh, uh, Sodom and a few other towns, and they took the people captive. And remember, every town had a king. It's like the kings of Coates and Bowie's Creek and Irwin banded together and defeated the king of Anger and took their citizens away. That's what was going on here. Um, If you wanted to be a king, that was a good time to live. Well, you weren't probably going to live that long, but it was a good time to be a king back in those days. As Abraham was returning from victory, a special guest ministered to him. Genesis 14, 17. After Abraham's return from the defeat of the big C. Is that okay if I just say the big C? Uh, And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said... Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So who was this mysterious king and priest of God most high? Melchizedek is as much a title as it is a name, and it means king of righteousness. He was also king of Salem, which was likely an early name for Jerusalem, and it 
Salem means, or shalom, it means peace. King of righteousness. King of peace. Does that remind you of anybody? If you were able to accept my late challenge on Thursday, I believe it was, and read Hebrews over the weekend, you will have learned that we are unaware of Melchizedek's origins or his movements after he interacted with Abraham. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but genealogies in Genesis were crucial to the story and to claims of legitimacy. Everyone was connected to someone else. Everyone was born. Everyone died. There is much more to Melchizedek than an interesting character in a religious story. Do you think it is significant that Melchizedek gave bread and wine to Abraham? Let me say that again. Do you think it is significant that Melchizedek gave bread and wine to Abraham? We're going to remember Jesus' sacrifice and the night that he gave to his disciples bread and wine. At the end of this service, we'll remember that. Is it also significant that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, and that Melchizedek, as both king and priest, blessed Abraham. Some people think this was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, a Christophany or a theophany, but I agree with most scholars who think he was a type of Christ, especially since he was king of Salem and came from Salem and, as far as we know, returned to Salem after he ministered to Abraham. We won't hear from Melchizedek for another 1,000 years or so when David was king of Israel, living in Jerusalem and likely having his devotions in the book of Genesis. And out of the blue, he says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So now, who was Jesus referring to when he said, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek? He was referring to the Messiah, of course, of verse 1, who, according to our text is divine. If you weren't here two weeks ago and, and you want to get more background on this psalm, go back to that message two weeks ago uh, on our pod. Go to the podcast and, and, and listen to the part one. If, if verse one of Psalm 110 is an oracle, verse four is an oath. God swore that the Messiah would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. It's an oath. This was God's plan, beginning, middle, and end. Why would David write such a thing, linking Melchizedek to the Messiah, who clearly had to be born in the royal line in the tribe of Judah? So here's the deal. Uh, everyone knew that kings come from the tribe of Judah and priests come from the tribe of Levi. 
A priest king was unthinkable. It just, the offices didn't get mixed up. Every once in a while, a king would try to perform the office of a priest, and God judged him immediately. So, how is it that the Messiah could be prophesied to be priest, prophet, and king? What makes it possible if the Messiah, Jesus, was a priest of a different order than Levi? It's only possible if Jesus is a priest, but another kind of priest. He was. He was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Somewhere in your dream you're being spoken to, you hear this voice coming to you. I know this is heavy stuff. The Jews teach that Melchizedek was Shem, Noah's son, who made Abraham his heir and transferred the birthright to Abraham. And furthermore, some Jewish scholars teach that Psalm 110.4 says that um, is rightly translated, you are similar to a priest forever. But this is a bad translation. It's not a good reading. Furthermore, Zechariah 6, 9 to 15, if you want to write it down, we're not going to take time to go there, speaks of a priest king. So those who wanted to know could have known that Jesus was the divine Messiah. So we've seen Melchizedek in Genesis 14, and now in Psalm 110.4, where the Messiah is prophesied to be an eternal priest after the order of Melchizedek. And the only other place we run into Melchizedek is in the New Testament book of Hebrews, once again, some 1,000 years after the Psalms were written. In Hebrews, Jesus is presented as the perfect high priest who offers himself and his blood as the perfect sacrifice. Because unlike the Levitical priest, Jesus was without sin. And I hope from this point it smooths out a little bit. Hebrews 2, 17 to 18 tells us why Jesus, the eternal Son of God, had to come to earth. Hebrews 2, 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He's talking about Jesus. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. We'll talk about that word in a few minutes. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being, also help those who are being tempted. Now Hebrews 5.5 5 and, and following. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Remember that from Psalm 2, verse 7? As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110, verse 4. Now, if you were able to read through the book of Hebrews this weekend, you found Melchizedek's name mentioned eight times over the span of three chapters. Once again, in God's design... The Messiah was to be prophet, priest, and king. A man could 
could be king in the Old Testament and still be a prophet, but he could not be a priest unless perhaps the design was more complex than we knew. And, and, and we needed to have an explanation before we un could understand. Now, you'll see the word mystery in the New Testament several times. Do not confuse mystery with mystical. The word mystery is used simply to mean a truth previously hidden but now revealed in Jesus in these New Testament times. So the author of Hebrews was explaining the mystery according to Psalm 110 verse 4. Jesus, both prophet and king from the line of Judah, was also a priest, not from the line of Levi, but after the order of Melchizedek. The book of Hebrews declares Jesus not only as better than the priest who ministered in the tabernacle and by extension in the temple, but Hebrews declares Jesus as the perfect high priest. The implications are limitless, but I will mention only three that we, three ways that we benefit from Jesus' priestly service. First, priests under the old covenant offered a blood sacrifice for their own sins as well as for the people's sins. Jesus offered his own blood as a propitiation for our sins. Priests are mediators or representatives. They're go-betweens with God on one side and the people on the other. A priest represents God to the people, and he comes to God on behalf of the people. The author of Hebrews pointed out the obvious when he noted that the priest who brought the blood of a bull and a goat into the Holy of Holies as a sin offering, was seeking forgiveness for himself just like he was seeking forgiveness for everyone else. You likely know people who perform great acts of, uh, 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 of heroism and are selfless in the ways that they serve other people. Some people will throw themselves on a live grenade to save others. Some single mothers will work two jobs and then get very little sleep so that she can spend time with her children. But no matter how willing we are to sacrifice for others, even to sacrifice our lives for others, we cannot pay for someone else's sins. Why? We have our own sins to pay for. So it's no good for me... <clears throat> To go to the Lord and say, I will die for my dear wife, Allison. I don't want her, her to spend eternity in hell. He will say, you've got your own sins to pay for. We need something else if our sins are going to be forgiven. We can't pay for our own sins, much less others' sins. Then Jesus came, not only as prophet and king, Messiah from the tribe of Judah but as a priest after the order of Melchizedek. His blood was offered as a propitiation for our sins we've already read about in Hebrews 2. Now, the word propitiation is a big word, and, and, and maybe it's appropriate that it is because there is so much packed into that one word. 
We have seen this over and over in the Psalms that there is a holy God and, there's a, and there is a sinful people and the people are trying to get to God, but there's no way to appease his just and righteous wrath. So a system was set up where animals would be sacrificed. And on once one day a year, Leviticus 16, we read about not too many months ago. On one day a year, the Day of Atonement, the holy priest would go into this portion of the tabernacle and the temple known as the Holy of Holies. It, only once a year could he go in there and, and offer blood as an atonement for the sins of the people. The effect of that offering made by the high priest, though, was limited because the priest who was offering the sacrifice was just as sinful as the rest of the people. And so it was temporary. And as the writer of Hebrews says, we always knew that the blood of bulls and goats couldn't remove sins permanently. But it did appease the wrath of a holy God for a year. Jesus, on the other hand, as the second Adam, did right what Adam did wrong, lived a perfect and sinless life. When he died on the cross as our representative, God's wrath was poured out on him. His blood became the propitiation for our sins. Now, that word means satisfied at the very least. God's wrath was satisfied by Jesus' blood instead of the priest taking the blood to the Holy of Holies. Jesus, perfect from heaven, equal to God, dying on the cross, God pours out his wrath on Jesus. And Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the father turned his face away. Remember how we see this over and over in the Psalms? When the face of the Lord is toward you, it's, it's, for, it's for good. When the face of the Lord is away from you, and I'm sure there are exceptions about his face toward you. But when his face turns from you, it's bad. And God turned his face away from Jesus. Why? Because that offering was being made for sin. John Stott puts it this way. The wrath of God was exhausted on Jesus. And those who acknowledged their sins and put their trust in what Jesus did as payment for their sins, well, their sins will never be held against them, ever. God's wrath has been exhausted on Jesus. His wrath is fully satisfied, and the sins are removed. They are permanently removed, which speaks to the second point. Under the old covenant, the high priest was allowed to enter the presence of God only once per year, and that with fear and trembling. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are invited to come boldly before the throne of grace anytime. And we take it for granted, don't we? You've heard those songs, you know, 
Well, Lord, I don't want to take up much of your time. We, we ought to, to be fearful in some sense when we come to the presence of the Lord. But know that because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are invited anytime and we can come boldly with confidence to speak to him. Until you understand the significance and vast implications of Psalm 110, you will never fully appreciate the sacrifice of our great high priest, Jesus. Now, once a year, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, but he did so with fear and trembling, Fear that God would strike him dead for his sins. If he didn't do everything just right, Nadab and Abihu early in the construction of the tabernacle offered strange fire. They were burning the incense and they were burning it in a way that God had not commanded them to do it. It was different. They were like, hey, cool, let's just worship God in this new way. And God said no and kill them. And so the priest would go in with fear and trembling. This was in the early days of the tabernacle. And just as many of you teachers have laid the law down at the first of the year with the intention of loosening up as you go. It doesn't work the other way, right? You, you, <laughs> you're stern up front. Then you can, you can ease up a little bit. But God made it clear from the beginning that only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies one time each year, and that according to strict regulations. Can we truly appreciate what it means to come before the Lord and enter his presence at any time with a growing understanding of the great work of our high priest, Jesus? Let us be blessed with the truth given to us in Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Last, under the old covenant, the priest remained standing throughout their service. After Jesus' sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you, but I cannot imagine that the high priest under the old covenant were ever comfortable. After what happened to Nadab and Abihu, when they were performing their service in the Holy of Holies, they were never comfortable. They stood the entire time. I need to sit down and take a rest, said no high priest ever. Jesus, though, 
after he finished his work, sat down at the right hand of God. One of the reasons that we can have assurance of our salvation, the work was completed. It was done perfectly. And he sat down, indicating, by the way, his divinity. It's from this position that he speaks when we come before the throne of grace and says, Father, this is one for whom I died. This one was born in Zion. She is mine. She belongs to you. Remember that from Psalm 87? This one was born in Zion. Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, co-equal, co-eternal, sat with the work accomplished. Never again will sacrifice need to be made for those who have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. And if Jesus sits at the right hand of the, God, uh, right hand of the Father, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool, how significant is it? When the martyr Stephen was being stoned to death, as we're told in Acts 7.56, that he cried out, Stephen cried out, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. <coughs> Can you fathom the Lord's love for his children, for his followers? He's sitting there and Stephen is being stoned and he stands up to welcome Stephen to heaven. One day, Jesus will not only welcome the martyrs into heaven, but he will crush his enemies as Psalm 110 verses 5 to 7 promises, which reminds us again of Psalm 2. Remember, almost everything in the Psalms rests on the foundation of Psalms 1 and 2. You can find something from those Psalms in almost every single Psalm. And when Jesus crushes his enemies, as difficult as this may be for you to wrap your head around, those who belong to him will praise God for his wisdom and his righteousness and his victory over his enemies. For now, we need to remember that it, before we, we knew Jesus, we were the enemies of God, and we must pray for God to be merciful to those who persecute us even as he was merciful to us. Stephen really only said the same thing that Jesus said on the cross. Father, please do not hold this sin against them. That's our posture until the day that Jesus makes all wrongs right. So to close this time, I'm going to read from Hebrews 10 that we could really read almost anywhere in Hebrews. If today's message has opened up just a little bit of understanding about why it was that Jesus needed to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek, I, I want to encourage you to consider that there may never be a better time for you to go back through Hebrews, even if you went through it this weekend. Read Hebrews this week and just soak it all in and understand all the benefits that are ours because of Jesus' sacrifice. Um, for now, Hebrews 10, verses 11 to 14. 
And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made his footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus and he's pleased. I love it when a plan comes together. This plan, though, was accomplished at great cost to Jesus. It is through the precious blood of the Lamb that we are made clean. We come now to the Lord's table to partake of the Lord's supper together. We're going to serve from the front today, which is the first time since March of, of last year, March of 2020. We'll continue to use the packets, and you're going to need to take one of these packets uh, when, you, when you receive it. Take it back to your seat, and um, there's a, a, a piece of cellophane, a very thin piece of cellophane at the top. Remove it, and you can uh, get to the bread, and then the next one will allow you to get to the juice. So here's how we're going to do it. We'll come forward in what we'll call the interior aisles. There'll be a server in front of you, elder or deacon, uh, in front of you or staff member, and in your section, go to that, that station, um, take your packet, and then go back to your seat and partake at that place. If you wish to be served at your seat, um, Ricky will be in the back, and he'll bring it, your tray or his tray to your seat. Just simply Raise your hand. So I'm going to ask those who are serving this morning, uh, elders and deacons, staff, if you would, to please come forward. Our, our text this morning is Luke 22. And thank you, uh, worship team. I, I knew I was going to forget that. I don't know. How, I mean, I, we have to have them up here, but... I'm sorry about that. Luke 22:14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to all them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 
This is what we've been talking about all morning. The difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant and the law with the sacrifices once a year, day of atonement. The new covenant, the blood of Jesus, the propitiation for our sins poured out, removed our sins from us. It not only covered our sins, it removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The the new covenant was promised in Jeremiah 31 and connected to Jesus in Hebrews 8. Of course, it was in Hebrews. How was this possible? Because God made Jesus a priest after the order of Melchizedek. If you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, we invite you to partake of this meal. If you've not placed your faith in Christ as your only hope of salvation, perhaps observe those who do partake. And this act of partaking of the Lord's Supper, along with our brothers and sisters in Christ, is, as it were, a confession of faith. Let us hold fast our confession of faith in Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me as we ask God's blessings on this meal? Well, Lord, there's been a lot to absorb this morning. And indeed, your ways are thrilling when we understand them, but often they are to us confusing. We're not exactly sure how this plan came together, but we're grateful that it did. And so we ask for your uh, blessing on this meal as we partake, knowing that the body of Jesus was given for us and that the blood of Christ was spilled as a propitiation for our sins. When we repent of our sins, when we say, oh God, I'm a sinner, please forgive me, my sins. My only hope is Jesus. And I trust that what he did in dying for me was for my salvation. I believe Jesus, oh Lord Jesus, come into my life, save me. And may I follow you all the days of my life. Father, uh, coming to this table often as we do twice a month, we are reminded of the great price that was paid for our sins. We also remember that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. This past week, this very day, very likely. And we are so grateful for the price that was paid for our sins. Not that we're saved again, but oh, how our hearts are grateful for the body that was broken and the blood that was offered as the new covenant forgiveness of sins. So bless this meal, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, 
go to graceccnc.org.